This is a 720 to go podcast from Chicago's WGN Radio 720. This podcast is sponsored by ADM. As one of the world's largest agricultural processors, ADM is uniquely positioned to serve the world's growing needs for abundant food and renewable energy. ADM. When it comes to the business of America's farmland, you need the information from the people who know it best. That's why we bring you AgriCast with Orion Samuelson and Max Armstrong. Nine minutes after five o'clock here on this Saturday morning in June. And uh, we say once again, good morning and welcome to the Saturday morning show. Our weekly get together to talk about what I refer to as the most basic important industry on the planet. Producing food and fiber and now fuel for all of us. But uh, we do have quite a bit to talk about this morning, the cancellations that continue to come in because of COVID-19 and uh, the markets, of course, which we always talk about. We'll talk about the uh, June Dairy Month activities that won't take place because of the COVID-19. John Onken, who has not been with us for quite a while here on the Saturday morning show, standing by to talk a little bit about the uh, cancellations of the Breakfast on the farm at, uh, for June Dairy Month happening in a lot of farms in Wisconsin during this June. And, of course, Harvard Milk Days, which always saluted the dairy industry here in McHenry County, not taking place in June, but it will take place in October. They've postponed the June Dairy Month celebration in Harvard for with Harvard Milk Days until October 16, 17, and 18. So we'll still have that to celebrate later this year. The uh, story with uh, Jim Fazell coming up uh, when we continue here on the Saturday Morning Show. We say good morning to Jim Fazell, our specialist in ornamental horticulture, who sent me a few notes talking about locusts and cicadas and all kinds of bugs. Jim, good morning, and what's going on? Well, Orion, you know, it's very interesting. About uh, uh, 13 years ago, we had the outbreak of the great northern Illinois brood Marlot 13 cicadas. Not locusts, but a lot of people call these 17-year locusts. They're not locusts. Locusts are actually grasshoppers. But anyway, um, we're having an emergence this year, which is a sub-brood of this Marlet 13, and it's for some peculiar reason coming out four years early. Now, that happens on occasion. Now, this isn't a separate brood at all. It's still a part of that 17-year brood coming out early. If this was part of a completely separate brood, it would have come out on... uh, uh, 94 and 78 back in 1994, but we didn't have anything show up then. We didn't have anything show up in, in 78 either. These would have been the 90 and the 73 emergence of this 17-year brood. Uh, this seven, 17-year brood is located in northern Illinois, and it has quite a history. Uh, back in 1956, we had the largest emergence of a periodical cicada that has ever been recorded in this part of the country. And those of us who lived through that, in fact, I was at the University of Illinois, I would drive home through the Palos Woods up there, uh, down there in the southern part of Cook County. The noise was tremendous. If you, if you had your radio on, you had to close your windows to, to be able to hear it. There was a tremendous din as these things were trying to attract mates, 
And uh, they did a lot of damage to the tips of oak trees down there and to the tips of trees all over the place. Uh, these are insects that do not bite people. They do not sting. Uh, they don't suck on your tree and kill it, although they do feed uh, very gently on the trees just for the few days that they're out. Um, their main source of damage is the fact that the females cut slits in small twigs to lay their eggs. Now, these slits are deep enough that on small twigs, the twigs will eventually die and break off. And, of course, when they do, they drop to the ground with these little tiny, almost uh, ant-sized or pavement ant-sized larvae in them. Uh, and these larvae dig down into the ground looking for a place where they can find a root to fasten onto. And they feed on that same root for 17 years in the ground. They're in the dark for 17 years. They feed so remotely or so lightly that even a large percentage of them does not damage the tree at all. These things are a wonder of nature. And when you stop to think about it, 17 years in the ground, then they come out for a few short weeks to to enjoy the sunlight, to mate and start a new generation. <laughs> they really are a fascinating wonder of nature, almost as fascinating as the as the monarchs. That's another wonder of nature. So um, we've had fewer and fewer of these each generation as they come out uh, for a couple of reasons. First of all, a lot of the urban area, which normally had gobs of elm trees, especially in 1956, have become denuded. When the trees died, of course, the cicadas that were feeding on them died as well. So the generations as we go along have been reduced in number and number until we have a, a pretty good emergence on the 17th year. This year we're having a 13-year emergence. A lot of these are smaller than you would expect them to be, uh, even though the periodical cicada is smaller than the big dog days that we're so used to. Uh, this generation uh, doesn't seem to be surviving very well, and we see tremendous numbers of dead ones underneath the trees where they emerged. Now, this is unfortunate. They're not going to mate when they, when they come out because they're, they're actually they're not strong enough to do that. But maybe this is why we don't see this 13-year generation every year. They're just not very good at reproducing. But they're interesting. So let me, uh, let me ask you about a current problem that I've uh, encountered this past week. As you know, I have a great maple tree in my backyard, and yes, it's fully do. leafed out. It's fully leafed out. But now the leaves are kind of starting to turn black, like maybe something is eating them that we talked about last week. But they're turning black, and they're falling off the tree. Well, that's an interesting situation. A couple of things may have happened. First of all, we did have that freeze or good frost uh, a couple of weeks ago, and leaves that were not fully out at that time were damaged. Of course, most leaves were not fully out. So they were damaged, and those parts of those leaves have either fallen out as the leaf, leaf continued to expand, or they were killed off and the leaf itself will drop. Also, there are some uh, insects, leafhopper-type insects, that will feed on these leaves, and when they feed on them, they cause them to turn black. Generally, the leaf does not fall off, although in this case they could, especially since they're, they're pretty young. Um, there, there are some fungus diseases that, that cause that to happen. That may not be uh, this time of year because it's a little bit too early for that to have developed to that point. But there's one other insect that causes a, a problem like that, although the leaf just usually falls off perfectly normal, and this would be the petiole borers. My thought is that uh, uh, this is a 
temporary situation. I don't think you're going to find a lot of leaves coming off. Incidentally, there's one other thing that we see. If we have a season where there's a lot of moisture and a lot of leaves put on the tree, sometimes when we begin to get into a stress period, the tree simply will knock a few of these off because there are too many for it to support. This is called early summer leaf drop. Uh, That could be as well. Without taking a good look at those leaves to find out just exactly whether anything's feeding on it or not, uh, uh, I really can't tell you exactly what it is, but these are all possibilities. And I've seen all three of these this spring so far on trees as Jane and I tour out through our, through our municipality here when we go for our morning walks. Anyway, it's nothing to worry about unless more than uh, 20 or 30 percent of the tree drop off. My guess is that if you went out and raked these up, you wouldn't even have maybe a couple of hands full. Uh, so don't worry about it. If it gets worse, okay. let me know, and we'll talk about it again. <laughs> All right. Uh, there's always something to talk about if you're growing plants. By the way, Gloria's roses have started blooming this week, so she's happy about that. Well, it's June. That's great. She's right on time. Yeah. This, so this, this lady is a, a good gardener, and uh, um, <laughs> I, I really appreciate hearing her reports of how things are going for her out there in Huntley. And I'll have her send you a photograph of the leaves that are falling, too, so you can take a look at that. Uh, what else do we talk about this week for people who are going to be outside uh, enjoying it? looks like a pretty good weekend. It does. After the heat of this past week, it looks like we're going to have a very comfortable weekend, a perfect time to be outdoors and enjoying it. A couple of things that need to be done. First of all, we've had very little rain. I think in the past uh, week I've had uh, maybe a trace or maybe a tenth of an inch in my rain gauge following this tremendous amount of rain that we've had throughout the spring. When we have that amount of rain, we get excellent percolation. The moisture runs through the soils very quickly. The soil dries very quickly, and as the water runs down, it pulls in air. So people need to be checking to make sure that some of the plants that they put in, the annuals and vegetable plants that they put in, are not wilting due to dry soil. This time it's going to be dry soil, not wet soils, and we talked a couple of weeks ago about how if soils are too wet, plants will wilt. Well, this is because the soils are too dry. They've dried out very quickly. So go out and take a check. Dig down around the plant a little bit uh, with a trowel and see if the soil is dry down there. If it is, put on some water. Soak these little plants. Give them an inch of water if you put your sprinkler out. Um, I don't think we're going to have any, any predicted moisture for another several days, so you can't wait for these plants just to wilt and, and ex- expire because of, of being dry. You need to take care of them. And, uh, again, there is a formula for how much water you put down. You put a can under the sprinkler. How do you do that? Well, if you put a straight-sided can, a coffee can, or something like that underneath the sprinkler, measure the amount of water in that can. When you get an inch of water in the bottom of the can, you know you've got an inch of water pretty well throughout the area the sprinkler is covering. That's the amount that you want to use per time. Put down an inch of water. When you've got an inch of water down, turn the sprinkler off, put it away until things begin to get dry again, then set it up, set your system up, uh, set your coffee can out there, and put on another inch of water. One inch of water is just about what we need in our soils around here to go about a week. And if we don't get it in normal rainfall, we certainly have to provide it because that's what our plants expect from us. And you keep on mowing regardless of the moisture? We keep on mowing as soon as the grass gets up to one and a half times or maybe two times as high as you want to keep it. Keep mowing. Uh, if you collect the clippings, be sure you put those in compost or someplace where you, where you can take advantage of the, of the organic matter. 
Uh, the worst thing you can do is to just dump them in the garbage, but you could put them in the recycler as well. But mow when the grass gets, gets up to mowing height. Uh, mow it back down to two and a half inches. That's the proper height to keep it here. It looks a lot more attractive if you, if you keep it at the right height. If you keep it too short, it'll burn out. If you keep it too tall, it falls over. So two and a half inches when it needs it. And then finally, we'll wrap it up by repeating again, we have another four years before the cicadas come out, the 17-year cicadas. That's correct. They will be out here in 2024, and uh, we can expect that. We don't expect uh, anybody to be particularly concerned about it. Uh, incidentally, there's a a big uh, emergence right now down along the Ohio River in Virginia. So you're going to hear a lot about this on the national media. That doesn't apply to us this time, but it will in four years. All right, my friend. Uh, keep that garden in, in good condition, and we'll talk to you again next week. You bet. I'll be here, Orion. Okay, Jim Fazell, our specialist in ornamental horticulture, here on the Saturday Morning Show. This is Walter Jacobson, waiting impatiently, like you, for more things to open up. But here I am, still recording from home. When one of my hearing aids went out, I was struggling to hear my kids or anyone from another room and couldn't understand people through those darn masks. Thank goodness all hearing health center offices are now open. I was first one there on day one, and my hearing aids are working perfectly again. And here's some great news. All hearing aid manufacturers are now offering a stimulus check for up to $1,200 through Hearing Health Center. I got myself a spare set in case mine conk out. It's a limited time offer, so call 833-GO-HEARING to make an appointment. Hearing Health Center is protecting us by seeing only one patient at a time. So appointments are restricted. Call 833-GO-HEARING or book online at WGNHearing.com in Chicago, Highland Park, Oak Brook, Naperville, or Park Ridge. It's 24 minutes after 5 o'clock. The sun trying to come up, and it'll make it, I guarantee it. Probably the only thing I can guarantee, but uh, we're at 64 degrees on my thermometer on my backyard in Huntley, Illinois, and uh, it's going to be a little cooler today and maybe going into tomorrow as well than we've seen the past uh, few days. But a nice weekend in store for gardening or whatever else you want to do. One of the things I'm excited about Tonight's dinner at Jameson's. They're beginning to serve on their outdoor patio, and I'm looking forward to getting back to seeing our many good friends at uh, Jameson's. So if you're going to be out there this evening, come on over and uh, say hello. We'll be out on the patio, and so will you. But uh, we have other things happening and some things that are not happening, and we're going to talk about one of them when we continue here on the Saturday Morning Show. We haven't talked to this gentleman in quite a while, so we're going to remedy that this morning as we check in with our specialist in the dairy industry, John Onken, my longtime friend up in Wisconsin, who is still a journalist and still covering the dairy scene. John, welcome to our program, and it's good to talk to you again. Well, it's good to, good to be back, Orion. And we have seen several headlines in the last week or so involving Wisconsin agriculture. But let's start with the most recent one that came late this week. They've canceled the World Dairy Expo for this year. I just picked 
up my paper a few minutes ago, uh, uh, and the big headline is World Dairy Expo Cancelled. And that's true, and that, uh, of course, is the the big show in the dairy industry, and uh, I guess that's about the last thing that hasn't been canceled. Now, that's gone. I don't think there's any other meetings that are being held around, at least in Wisconsin, that I know of. Wisconsin? With, with agriculture. Wisconsin State Fair has been canceled? That's canceled also, everything. State FFA convention? FFA convention, Farm Technology Days. Uh, the only one that I know of is the Dane County Junior uh, June Dairy Month Breakfast, which originally was supposed to be held June 8th and has been rescheduled for August 1st. And they have not commented whether it will be held or not, but as far as I know, it's still on the list of things to be held and that's the only meeting that I know of, of any sort. So, John, what are you going to do for the rest of the summer? Because you'd be out almost every day at a June Dairy Month breakfast, wouldn't you? I'm not sure. I don't fish, and I don't uh, <laughs> uh, make things out of wood or garden. I guess I mow the lawn and uh, watch the dairy scene. I did talk to... Uh, I write a column every week in the regional ag newspaper called the Wisconsin State Farmer. And last week I made an effort not to visit farmers because I don't think they want to see strangers or other people come into their door like everybody else. They're kind of isolated. But I talked to them, and um, they're going about things just about us- as usual, uh, farming. None of them were uh, uh, doing anything different other than not going to meetings. Of course, through the social media, they can still talk to each other, but it's the most unusual year so far, and I don't see any rapid change in it. Yeah, I, I would tend to agree with you on that. So the stories we've been hearing about the dairy industry falling apart and uh, farmers going out of business, what's your take on what you've seen so far this year on the dairy industry in Wisconsin? I don't think that's happening. I don't, that would be strong words. There are The milk price went up briefly at the end of uh, 2019. It went down, and I see the all-milk price uh, last month was down at $14 a hundred. That was considerably below. But as far as I can gather, uh, it, it seems like the fallout in farmers is probably about normal. Um, they're still meeting their bills. The bankers, I've talked to some lenders, they said that they if things go bad, milk price for another six, eight months, there will be a lot of trouble. Right now, they said that things are sort of normal. Farmers are farming. And that Making seems... hay. <laughs> I was going to say, the hay crop is being harvested, and does it look pretty good so far? The what? The hay crop, uh, is the harvest yeah, underway? Yeah, I think so. I've talked to some farmers, they... They had some winter kill, uh, but uh, you and I both grew up in a time when June 1st haying was 
not even thought of, maybe closer to July 1st. But there's a lot of hay been made in the last week of May and the first week of June so far. And uh, I, I think it'll be a reasonable uh, crop, and they'll look for three or four crops. The corn looks good. It's coming up. And, uh, in fact, it's way ahead of last year. Well, we appreciate the opportunity to check in with you. And, John, I'm afraid you're going to have to pay for your own breakfasts this month because you won't be able to go to the Dairy Month breakfast. So enjoy. Well, good- I've gone to a, I've eaten enough scrambled eggs and cheese, <laughs> uh, cheesy uh, eggs to last me for a while. But I, I feel sorry for the groups that would make some money on it. The, the, um, each county had a dairy committee that did gain some finances through contributions and uh, minimal breakfast um, charges. But they'll have to get along. Yes, they will. And uh, you stay well, my friend, and we'll check in with you a little bit later this summer to see how things are going, okay? Okay, I'll be here. All right, that's our visit with John Onken, who knows more about dairying than I ever knew while I was growing up on the dairy farm. John Onken joining us here on the Saturday Morning Show. Thank you for joining us here on the 720 spot on your dial, WGN Radio Chicago. Start of a nice weekend with good weather, and it's going to be a little bit cooler. As I mentioned, I'm 64 degrees on my thermometer here in Huntley, Illinois. But it's a dry forecast for today. Maybe a scattered shower could build up this afternoon. But get out and enjoy the good weather. The uh, Saturday morning show continues with Samuelson Says. I'm Orion, and this week, talking about job opportunities in agriculture for the 2020 college graduates. High blood pressure is called the silent killer. You can feel fine, but your blood pressure can be high, putting you at risk for stroke or heart attack. Don't risk it. Know your numbers. That's the message from 120 Life, makers of the new drink that helps lower blood pressure naturally. 120 Life is made from natural ingredients that help lower your blood pressure without the side effects of meds. Drink one bottle a day. If your numbers aren't lower in two weeks, you'll get a refund. Go to 120life.com. As we come to the end of a very unusual college graduation season, I keep hearing the headline, job opportunities are not good. This year's graduates will be entering one of the toughest job markets in history. Well, that could be true in some industries, but I don't think it is the case for jobs in agriculture. There are openings, and a recent publication issued by the U.S. Department of Agriculture talked about the openings available to college graduates in agricultural careers. Let me share with you what the USDA report had to say. Job opportunities for food, agriculture, renewable natural resources, and environmental graduates are areas expected to grow. The department said, expect the strongest job market for plant scientists, food scientists, sustainable biomaterial specialists, water resources scientists and engineers, precision agriculture specialists, and farm animal veterinarians. 
The department report went on to say, quote, we expect to see a strong employment market for e-commerce managers and marketing agents, ecosystem managers, agri-science educators, crop advisors, and pest control specialists. There are job opportunities in the agricultural community. A lot of them will need the education that you received in college. And let me say, my advice every year to college graduates is learn everything you can about everything, and you will always have a job opportunity. Maybe the pandemic will provide many of those opportunities as we move forward with agricultural careers. Oh, and don't forget, we will need people to till the soil, to plant the seed, and to harvest the crop, and to raise hogs and cattle and dairy cattle. Those are the jobs that have been around for a long time, but there are new jobs available this year and every year. So if you're a 2020 graduate, congratulations and best wishes. Be safe, be well. My thoughts on Samuelson Says. A presentation of Nexstar Media Group at 24 minutes before 6 o'clock. And uh, with these unusual times for all of us and for those of us in broadcasting, because Many of us are working from home. I'm working from my studio in Huntley, Illinois, and Max Armstrong is working from his studio in North Carolina. But uh, the man who puts it all together, Bob Ferguson, our engineer, is at our studios in downtown Chicago. But because of the changes we've had to implement in our broadcast schedules, we uh, are using quite a few people that uh, normally wouldn't be with us. One of them is Mike Pearson, who has been in the agricultural broadcasting business for quite a while, knew his dad. And so he uh, checks in every week to uh, take a look at market activity. So I tell you what, at 23 minutes before six o'clock, let's check in with Mike Pearson. And to help us make sense of the markets this week, we're joined by Tommy Grazafi of Advanced Trading, who is currently up in North Dakota taking a look at the fields. Tommy, thanks for joining us today. Thank you, Mike. Well, bring us up to speed. You're up there. You're doing a crop tour. You're seeing how the prevent plant situation is shaping up. How do things look this uh, in, in your eyes up there? Well, we had a couple interesting things happen this week. We had uh, uh, some abnormal heat. It was 97 degrees and windy the other day in Fargo on Monday. And uh, that definitely dried some things up. Uh, the other things we noticed too, Mike, is that the uh, talking people two weeks ago, they were very confident there would be a lot of prevent plant and beans, and they were just overall too wet. But you get several days of 90s and wind, you can straighten yourself out real quick. So what's done is done in corn. You know, that's almost 10 days since the uh, last day they suggest you plant corn. And, and anyone, Mike, who had corn ground last year is having an incredible time getting anything planted on that. But there are a few people in the last few days that we noticed are starting to work corn ground from last year and planting soybeans in it. And, you know, we have another rally the last few days in beans, and that just may be enough motivation. The prevent plant date in beans is the 10th of June. So I, I got a little sneaky feeling there's a lot more beans rolling in, in the state of North Dakota than people think. Well, and you mentioned we have seen a rally in beans over this past week, Tommy. We've, we saw China come out on Monday, say they're not going to buy any more beans. Then they stepped right in and went ahead and bought some beans. What's your read on the demand situation for soybeans right now? 
Well, that's the old, you know, going to the car dealer, telling them you're interested in that uh, pickup, and then they call you, give you a price, you tell them you changed your mind. Then they call you back a few days later, say they talked to their manager and they could work a deal for you. So China's the best trader in the world. They're, they're playing us like a fool. And, and with everything going on in the world, there's so much confusion. They just have to say one word, we're not going to buy beans. And then all of a sudden they buy beans. I think the bigger story, Mike, is that I think yesterday Brazil had a thousand people uh, die from uh, COVID and Mexico had over a thousand people. And I think those are really important numbers because uh, if we get some, not food insecurity in Brazil, but uh, a problem with the ports, China's going to have to buy beans from us, whether they want to or not. If they shut down a port because of illness, they'll be right here. They will. And a lot of those beans are going to be coming out of the Pacific Northwest. What are the basis situations? What are the guys you're talking to in North Dakota talking about when it comes to actually getting beans shipped? How's the cash price looking up there? It's getting better. We stopped yesterday at Tronson Grain. Pat Tronson, great guy, right there in Devil's Lake. They deal with a lot of bushels. They own uh four or five local elevators in that area. And I just flat out asked him, Pat, you got a hot bid in the basis in beans. What's going on? And he said, the numbers work. They can already uh, get shuttle loaders lined up. They're going to demand a lot of beans at harvest. There's not going to be a lot of corn bushels to deal with. So they're they're incentivizing the farmer to deliver beans in that November, uh, October, these time slot. And so that's become very interesting. And uh, farmers are doing it. We've had a lot of farmers call and say, hey, what's with this hot basis in beans? It doesn't always need to be bad up here, Mike. Things can get better. They can, but you mentioned we're not going to see a lot of corn bushels coming out of North Dakota. Tommy, how many acres do you think we're going to lose of corn production up there in the Dakotas, western Minnesota this year? Well, just from talking, a lot of our customers, as you know, sell seed, and, and they're your best resource. So you talk to a farmer who also sells seed. I would say every bit of a million, maybe a million and a half. Uh, I think the surprise number is how many beans get planted. Will that amount of acreage loss be enough to push this December corn contract north of that 340 ceiling? It just hasn't been able to break through. Yeah, that's a great question, Mike. I don't think the uh, acreage losses is a big of a deal as uh, just looking at the weather maps this morning that the western half of the state and almost the central half of the state is hitting uh, D1 drought. So take, take a look at that. That, that could have a big story. We have rains in the forecast here the next few days. If those don't happen, what we're seeing as we're on this crop tour, Don Wick and myself, is that people literally have their sprinklers on in the front yard and they're still getting tractors stuck out in the field. It's quite amazing. So uh, grass is starting to burn up. Keep an eye on the heat. Uh, as I talked to a customer yesterday, he said, do you think we, you know, we, because we're not planting, it'll matter. I said, I think if we get one solid rain in Illinois and Iowa, uh, timely rain in that June, July period, they can produce more bushels than that million, million and a half acres uh, that were lost. So it, it's a big picture thing. It's if, if it's you who didn't get the bushels planted, it's a big deal. But in the big scheme of the market, I just don't know that the Chicago Board of Trade or speculators are really keeping an eye. But if we hear the D word drought, you'll light things up. Well, and Tommy, you mentioned, of course, North Dakota is a player in the huge ecosystem of corn production, but they're a much bigger player in the world of spring wheat. We've seen delays in spring wheat plantings just like we have in the corn market. From talking to your growers up there, is spring wheat, are they still looking to get some seeded as this uh, summer goes along? I still have a few customers planting spring wheat. They'll wrap up in the next few days. Uh, there was, there could have been a lot more spring wheat that didn't get planted, but again, this nice weather. Uh, well, one of the things the customers told me is it doesn't matter what day I got it planted as much as what the weather's like every day after it's planted. So if we have great weather, good heat, rains, timely rains, but if we really get hot at the end of July and August and burn this wheat crop up like we did a few years ago, Mike, 
where wheat went from 515 to the upper eights, you could see that again. But you have to remember our friends to the north, Canada, they produce three times as much wheat as we do here in North Dakota and the other states. So Canada is a much bigger player in spring wheat. You also have to watch their weather. So watch for dryness and heat up there. Gotcha. And we'll continue to watch for export news. China's other announcement early in the week was that they would quit buying American pork. They've been very active in that market over the past, uh, well, few months. Tommy, we saw the pork market, uh, Lean Hogs, take a dip this week. Do you think there's time for them to bounce back here in the uh, upcoming weeks? You know, Mike, the last time I was on with you, you asked me what I thought of meats, and I said there's not a a lot of money made selling them at these levels. So they had a heck of a rally out of there. We're kind of, in my opinion, in no man's land right now. And yes, uh, keep an eye on what China says, but more importantly, watch what they do. So we're gonna have to keep a close eye on weekly exports. We've had a heck of a rally in both the hogs and the cattle, and that really took some pressure off guys. But when you look at the market the last few days, they're starting to get a little tense. We had a limit down day to our day in cattle, and that woke people up that they're still, as always, staying fair and balanced, both upside risk and downside risk to both cattle and hogs. There always is. Tommy Grizafi from Advanced Trading, thanks for taking the time to talk to us this week. Thanks, Mike. And our thanks to Tom and Mike for that report on what's happening up in North Dakota, where they have had some planting problems because of moisture. There was a court decision this week that could have a major impact on agricultural producers. And let me quote the statement by the president and CEO of the Agricultural Retailers Association, Darren Kopik, who sent a letter to the EPA uh, administrator, Andrew Wheeler, regarding the Ninth Circuit Court decision this week that will create a problem for a lot of farmers who use dicamba for their crop production. Quoting uh, Mr. Kopik's letter, the immediate nature of the decision and mandate has already created chaos in our industry. Growers are now without options at the worst possible time in their production year. The letter requests EPA appeal the federal court ruling using all legal avenues available. U.S. lawmakers are in the heart of their growing, uh, farmers are in the heart of their growing season and planting decisions and subsequent herbicide application plans have been made. Ag retailers and growers will be scrambling to secure alternatives which may not be readily available in time. This decision, he said, by the Ninth Circuit Court is an overreach and must be corrected immediately. This will have a major impact on this year's crops if not handled very soon. The farm economy has already experienced major struggles this year, and this is one that can easily be avoided if the uh, court takes uh, a change on its ruling this week. Also coming up this week, uh, the uh, Illinois FFA convention. But my, what a different convention it's going to be this year. Auditorium in Springfield will not be filled with FFA blue jackets because it will be a virtual convention. 
and uh, stay in touch with your FFA advisor on when these will be carried on television channels. The uh, June 9th is the opening day and the virtual business session of the Illinois FFA State Convention will be held. And the convention goes through June 11, but it'll do that without people in the auditorium. Going to be a strange uh, FFA convention year uh, for that great organization. State fairs and county fairs, well, the Wisconsin State Fair is canceled for this year. The Indiana State Fair is canceled for this year. I'm still waiting for word from the Illinois State Fair because I know they're discussing how they're going to deal with it as well. And uh, county fairs, a lot of them will not be held because of the uh, challenge to put that many people together in one place. The uh, Ogle County Fair at uh, Oregon, Illinois, was uh, postponed, or I should say canceled. And the uh, many other county fairs that uh, will be canceled as well before the season is over. And in addition to the state FFA conventions, we have the uh, October annual convention of the National FFA in Indianapolis. Not heard yet what's going to happen on that one. County fairs, a Chicagoland area county fair was uh, canceled this week. The DuPage County Fair at Wheaton will not be held because of the challenges we have with COVID-19. Some of the other county fairs a little farther out from our WGN listening area, but still included in our area. Macon County Fair down at Decatur, Illinois. The Montgomery County Fair at Butler, Illinois. The Elizabeth Community Fair at Elizabeth, Illinois. McLeansboro Fair at uh, McLeansboro, that one has been canceled, and uh, we're still waiting to hear about uh, the Lake County Fairs in Indiana and in Illinois and what's going to happen with them. And yes, I'm already hearing from people who are wondering about the Sandwich Fair. Haven't heard yet from them, but uh, we'll probably hear very soon, maybe as soon as this week. So it's going to be a different season for 4-H and FFA and adult livestock exhibitors who will probably see their animals judged on a television screen by a judge who will not be in the judging ring to slap the rump of the grand champion stare at whatever fair, county or state that uh, is being covered. So stay in touch with your 4-H club leader and with your FFA advisor on those cancellations that will certainly impact a lot of communities because county fairs not only are fun times and time for 4-H'ers and FFA members to show off their work for the past year, but it's also uh, a good time for the community. brings a lot of people, and it brings uh, some dollars in. It brings vendors who depend on county and state fairs to make their living in the summertime. A lot of people being impacted by the challenges we've had because of COVID-19. Oh, I do uh, also want to get back to the FFA 
I've told my uh, grandkids, uh, be careful what you put on the Internet, because it'll probably be there forever, and it could have an impact on you and your job opportunities. And boy, that came to light this week for a member of the National FFA officer team because the FFA organization has removed Lyle Lagerman, the organization's Western Region Vice President, from its national officer team after the emergence of, quote, concerning social media posts. Earlier this week, concerns arose after social media posts confirmed to be from Mr. Lagerman's accounts were critical of race, religion, and immigration. So the organization announced the move in a Facebook post late this week. After the posts, which were made, by the way, prior to his election as a national officer last October, but they emerged and drew heavy scrutiny from FFA members and stakeholders online. And uh, Mr. Logeman will not be replaced on the team. He'll simply be dismissed from the team. And the FFA will continue with five national officers until a new team is elected at the group's annual convention in October. The FFA office stated, as an organization, we are troubled by this situation. We have failed in the vetting process for national FFA officer candidates, and we failed in the preparation of nominating committee members for the important work they conduct. We simply must improve. But uh, they'll be short of one national officer on the officer team Uh, at this year's convention so make note of that be careful what you put on the internet because you never know how long it'll be around or who will see it including hiring people who uh, will take a look at the email records of potential job candidates and say "Uh oh don't want this Oh, and there's one other note. Along with the COVID-19 and along with the uh, unrest in this country, add one more to your concerns because the National Hurricane Center says a storm surge and tropical storm warnings have been issued for the northern Gulf of Mexico coast. That would include southern United States. And... uh, It's kind of early for the harvest situation, but we always watch the hurricane activity in the Gulf of Mexico during the end of the year because a storm like this one that comes into the uh, Gulf of Mexico, it's about 500 miles south of the uh, place where the Mississippi River dumps into the Gulf. And these storms sometime will take a path right up along the Mississippi River and drop a pretty good amount of rain in the areas that are getting ready for the harvest season. So uh, keep an eye on that storm as if you didn't have enough to worry about or concern yourself with. Uh, here's another one. We could get some heavy rains and some storm activity coming north up into the heart of the agricultural production area. We're at uh, six minutes before six o'clock news time, and uh, we'll be back with more on the Saturday morning show. 
It's time for our check with our field representative, technical service representative, BASF, as we get a field report every weekend. And Kurt Martins joins us this weekend. We know, first of all, Kurt, that there's a lot of concern among growers out there after that appeals court ruling relative to the use of dicamba. And I know state officials are asking for clarification The uh, Iowa Secretary of Agriculture went on record on that and uh, several others. Uh, What are you folks uh, with BASF saying on that? Yeah, Max, getting a lot of questions about that, obviously. Listen, BASF, we do acknowledge the the decision made by that court, and currently we are reviewing that order and, of course, waiting on further direction from the U.S. EPA and also the different states on actions that they will take as a result of this order. We'll wait for a further word from all of those involved in the regulatory process. Meanwhile, I was looking at the drought monitor map, and boy, I tell you what, you've got to go into western Iowa to find anything that is even unreasonably, uh, unusually, abnormally dry, because most of eastern Iowa, northern Illinois, southern Wisconsin, it appears, has moisture and plenty of it, and looks like there's more on the way. Over the past week, I've seen a lot of activity with with uh, growers uh, replanting wet spots and also getting a lot of spraying done. But, hey, 2020, hey, we've got a hurricane that's supposed to be coming up in the Mississippi River here sometime next week and going to bring us a little bit more rain. But with that and the timing that we've got with some of the early planted soybeans, we may have some concerns for white mold in soybeans. Usually infection takes place right at the beginning of flowering and really becomes devastating if we've got a lot of moisture around that time frame. Now, our soybeans probably not going to be flowering next week, but we're going to start getting a lot of moisture in our area. So what can we do to protect our soybeans? Well, there's a fungicide called Endura from BAS South. Use rate is 8 ounces. needs to be applied right at the beginning of flowering. It's the only fungicide labeled for control of white mold. Isn't this a little bit early, though, for flowering? Uh, are, are some of those early beans that advanced? We're a little bit on the early side, but I want to take caution that if we get into a wet pattern here brought on by this hurricane and, and other events shortly after that, we got to remember our, our soybeans are going to start flowering around June 20th, and if we've got some early April planted beans, they may start flowering Earlier than that, maybe around the 15th, hard, hard to say, but usually right around the 20th, we'll get soybeans to start flowering. Of course, if white mold is present, that's when the infection takes place, so we need to be making those applications at that time. Great advice. We appreciate it. What about herbicide applications? A lot of sprayers at work in the fields in recent days, we've noticed. You bet. You bet. Guys are getting after it, uh, dodging some of the rainstorms here and there. Uh, weeds have been small but uh, with the heat they're getting big and so it's been uh, been a concern to get in there and get after them guys are doing a pretty good job with that i'm I'm happy to see the sprayers rolling out there so but a lot of work to do yet um for both corn and soybeans when it comes to the the herbicide applications well always appreciate the visit sir thanks for sharing the time with us again this weekend kurt martins basf have a good week you bet thanks max our thanks to Bob Ferguson, the engineer who makes all of this happen on the Saturday morning show. And special thanks to you for joining us and giving us the opportunity to talk about this basic industry. I'm Orion Samuelson, and that's our time on the Saturday morning show. Orion Samuelson keeps you connected to the world of business and agriculture on WGN. Hear his reports weekday mornings on the Steve Cochran Show and during the noon hour on the Wintrust Business Lunch. 
Plus, catch Orion and Max on Saturday mornings at 5 a.m. only on Chicago's WGN Radio 720.